This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope it helps you in some way, shape, or form when you listen. If you are new here, my name is Lindsay. I'm the host. I have four kids myself, four little boys, and I've been podcasting for five years. I also host the podcast called All Have Another, where I interview professional and everyday runners. I started this podcast in October of 2020. As my kids got a little bit older, I decided I had a lot of questions, so I thought I'd bring on some experts and also some everyday parents for conversations on this show. And I hope it just helps anyone listening feel a little bit less alone and more supported. So today you're listening to episode 50, and my guests are Megan Michelson and Mary Flo Ridley. Megan and Mary Flo teach us through a simple online course that gives parents the tools and confidence to talk to their young kids about sex. Mary Flo has been doing this for over 30 years, and Megan joined her team just a few years ago. They teach us to educate and empower our kids through building a foundation for future conversations, to protect them from dangers on and offline, and to have the power of the first impression. Now, they have a course. If you like this conversation and want to learn more from Megan and Mary Flo so that you can be confident and have a plan, they have an online course for parents of kids ages 1 through 10, and they actually gave us a code for listeners. So if you want to use the code LINDSAY20, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-2-0, get 20% off their online course, go to birds-bees.com and you can register for that. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Megan and Mary Flo. All right. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Megan Michelson and Mary Flo. Mary Flo, I don't know your last name. Ridley. Ridley, right. <laughs> I just moved to the South, so I'm getting used to this double name thing. That middle name thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Welcome. Where are you guys located? We're in Dallas. Okay. And um, actually, my, I have a daughter in the Carolina, two daughters, in, one in North and one in South Carolina. So I'm over in your part of the world quite a bit. Okay. I mean, I'm wondering, because our kids are, are three through nine, and I'm wondering if they're going to pick up y'all. <laughs> uh, they will. I can, I they will count on it. I yes. can't imagine not saying y'all. So <laughs> I bet they'll get it. Give them a year. <laughs> it seems like all their little buddies they're running around with are say it all the time, and especially our three-year-old who's kind of just now coming into vocabulary and talking. I'm like, I don't know how he won't say it because that's will be all he'll be surrounded with, other than my husband and I. He ha- he will have an accent. You can just guarantee. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so Megan and Mary Flo have a business, Birds and the Bees, and that is exactly why we're going to talk today. We're going to talk about talking to our kids about sex and <laughs> those things. So, um, you know, 
I think it's something that a lot of us parents are really uncomfortable talking to our kids about. When do we start? Um, how do we do it? How far do we go? How much do we talk about? Um, I have a friend who starts reading books to her kids when they're, I think, three. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess the first question is, well, first of all, how did you both get interested in educating people on this? Well, it's a long story, <laughs> but we'll try to um, not take up your whole time with it. The, but a long time ago, I was working with uh, the Dallas Junior League, and I was a volunteer with them. And my assignment, as um, that you get assignments sometimes, was to do a workshop on how to talk to your kids about sex. And I really didn't want that assignment, but I, in the grab bag, that's the one I got. And so in doing research about that, I kept finding, I kept running into things that I didn't want to do. Like, oh, I'd never do it that way. I'd never say that. This is not the way I'm going to do it. And yet I grew up in a family where the word sex was never said. So I had a totally blank page. I knew I wanted to do this with my children, but at that moment they were four and one. And yeah, and, and at the same time, I was getting questions like, mommy, how's that baby getting out of there? And I wondered, can I answer that? Because I, I want to answer it, but I don't know what to say. So it was all sort of a combination of getting this assignment, not finding anything out there that I could really approve of or think that it would be a good idea. Most of the things that were written were actually for preteens or teenagers, but there was no training of parents. And leaving it up to the parents, the curriculums, for the most part, were for schools or churches. And so in my little, how can we do this better brain, you know, just how, how what am I going to do about this? It was a process of writing down, okay, they're curious, let's have answers, let's take this on ourselves. So the curriculum sort of was formed from those, uh, the, that combination of situations that were happening. And so... I gave that little workshop thinking that would be the one and only time that <laughs> that I would have to stand up in front of people and talk about. <laughs> and um, it just, it went from there. So it was just a workshop that I gave mainly in the Dallas area, but then it expanded. And, um, and then enter Megan. So I was teaching middle school um, before I had kids of my own. And I was passing out flyers to go home with the kids one day. And it said, parents, learn how to teach, you know, how to talk to your kids about sex with Mary Flo Ridley. And I had grown up with the Ridley family. Um, but I did not know that Mrs. Ridley had this, like, secret job. <laughs> so I see this flyer, and I'm like, oh, what? Mrs. Ridley does what? I have got to go to this. Anyway, so, um, and I wanted to go because I was teaching middle school, like I said, and I was just really um, – alarmed by the sexualization of the culture and what these little preteens were learning and talking about and doing. And so I went to the program um, out of curiosity first. I wanted to know what in the world Mary Flo was up to. And then (laughs) second of all, um, just to hear through the lens of a middle school teacher um, of like, how could we engage with our students on these topics? So I went that night and I was blown away. I left thinking, oh my goodness, Everybody has to hear this. Every parent should hear this. Every educator should hear this. Um, just because the impact it could have if every parent talked to their kids about sex in this way, middle school could look so different. Marriages could look so different. Um, it could just be really impactful on the way we handle this topic that is typically so taboo. So it was really mind-blowing to me. And so 
two years later, I heard her again at a different program when I had become a mother myself. Um, and so I just, you know, interpreted it in a different way once you become a mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to do this. I wanted all my friends to hear about this. And then, um, as luck would have it, we kind of <laughs> ran into each other and started this amazing conversation of her wanting to get it to a new generation and me wanting to jump on board. And so our partnership began and that was in 2000. What was that? Six, five. When was major? Well, major was born in 2000. Oh yeah. I'm blanking on my children here. Um, (laughs) I do it all the time. I know 2014. Okay. So that was 2014. I first heard you 2009. Then I heard you again in 2013. And then we started our partnership in 2015. There you go. Okay. Anyways. And so we started um, we kind of rebranded it to be birds and bees. And we started working on ways to kind of get this into the hands of moms and dads of this generation. So it has been a really exciting, um, journey, yes. if you will. Um, <laughs> we're still friends. Yeah, exactly. And it's, so it's been really fun for us to reach this new generation of parents. Um, we now have an online course. We still do speaking events, but, um, we have this online course that shares all of our information and walks parents through everything we teach. Um, and we're able because of technology to get this into the hands of parents all over the world. So it's been really exciting, um, to be a part of this. I don't think either one of us ever thought we'd be in the sex education field. (laughs) Um, but here we are. (laughs) Exactly. So we're like a 35 year old startup. Exactly. (laughs) It's so cool that you can have a business like that these days, right? Like it just 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even, you would have to find, well, you would have to wander into a speaking engagement that Mary Flo was doing or whoever right. in your community was doing the engagement. There's just, you, we have so much access to resources now, which also can be really noisy sometimes. So I find that it's important to dial in on like what lane I want to be in, what I want to learn about and, and go all in with it. So I'm curious, I don't know if you can break this down, Megan. What was it about Mary Flo's talk that day? Like, what were your main takeaways when you left thinking, everybody needs to hear this? So I think the big thing for me, and again, the first time I heard it, I didn't have kids. So I wasn't listening through the lens of a mom, um, which obviously, as you all know, it's just things process differently once you're a parent. But the first time I heard it, I was just, so th- things were going on. I think there was like a sexting incident going on in the middle school at the time. And I remember just being so frustrated in a way of like, why isn't anyone speaking about this like directly? Like, why aren't we having like a round table and everyone like hashing this out? Um, and it was because adults were comfortable talking about this and they definitely weren't talking uh, comfortable talking about it with their students. And so when I went to go hear Mary, hear Mary Flo, she has this curriculum that breaks everything down into age appropriate steps that build and build. And ultimately it just gives parents the power and the tools to have these conversations with their students. I mean, with their children, because God forbid something like that does happen. The parents now can have a voice in that. Hey, let's talk about what just went on in the sixth grade or seventh graders. Like, why do you think that happened? Why do you think she did that? How do you think she feels? And how powerful it can be as a parent if we start engaging with these topics as opposed to sticking our heads in the sand and remaining silent. And I think that was my big takeaway that first night is like, that doesn't happen overnight. We don't just become these empowered parents with the right words. That starts when they're two or three. And then it just builds and the parents are becoming more comfortable and the kids are becoming more comfortable. So it's a long process to get to this 
era where you're comfortable talking to your 14 year old about what's happening in middle school. But I think our culture does such a disservice because we think that's where you start. You know, don't say anything until 14. And it's like, well, of course this is uncomfortable. Of course this isn't working well. Um, so hearing Mary Flo that first night, I was just blown away because it was such a different concept um, than what everybody was doing. And I could just immediately see how different families could be, how different relationships could be with kids and parents. Um, so that's what really blew me away. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I grew up in a like evangelical church setting and we were just told you don't have sex till you're married. And that was that. And that was all you learned, you know, and looking back, my sister and I talk about this all the time. We're like, man, that really did a number on us. Just like the way we portrayed what sex was and, or the way it was portrayed to us. Um, so I'm curious, I guess, I guess so that we can be most useful for the listeners, why don't we start with when to start the conversation? At what age do you introduce the topic at all? Well, the topic, it, it, the thing is, okay, just, just because I want to answer that, but giving it an age is not necessarily the right thing to do. Um, and, and the reason why is because you may think, you know, um, my, my child, my firstborn six-year-old or my firstborn five-year-old, they're just so innocent. They don't know anything. And I, I don't really need to bring information that they're not asking about. But the thing is, is that when they go off to school, there's the six-year-old or the five-year-old that they're sitting next to has a 16-year-old brother. Mm. And so your family is the age of your oldest child and all the other ones are just keeping up is the way we like to say that. And so that child that's just as precious, just as loved, just as wonderful as your (laughs) five-year-old is coming with a boatload of information and assumes every six-year-old knows this. And so the question then turns around from when is the right age to a different question, which is, do you want to be the one to tell them? And if you want the power of the first impression to be in your hands, then it's going to start younger than makes sense to you uh, logically. So what we like parents to do is to warm up to the idea of all this, first of all, by considering like stepping back from your children and formulating a message that is your family message. We know every family is going to handle this topic differently, and we want to invite parents in to say, okay, in fact, we have a workbook that addresses this. Like, what is the main thing you want your children to know about sex if they're growing up in your family? Like, what is the message you hope that they learn when they leave you? What do you hope? Uh, Obviously, you and your sister learned don't have sex before you're married and it did a number. So what but what is the overall and over and, you know, what's the overarching idea that you hope your children walk away with when they from being in your family? Like, what did they what did they learn about sex? So first, the first step doesn't involve your children at all. The first step involves you or you and your spouse to sit down and say, okay, where are we going with these conversations? What's the purpose and what's the vocabulary? And and we have a way to help you figure that out. And then you look for opportunities. And it really starts with, you know, when you're changing their diapers and you're calling their their uh, private parts the right names, you're using the right vocabulary or you're potty training and you're using the right vocabulary and you're teaching them how precious their body is and that these parts are private but good and how to protect them. So bottom line is there's not an age, 
but there's kind of a run ahead of them attitude. Get ahead of them on the topic and then start introducing things as soon as you can in just droplets of information, not lectures, but just uh, as you listen to the course, you'll see that there are just teeny tiny conversations you can have to start to lay the groundwork. You know, I love that concept. I recently interviewed David Thomas about raising boys. Um, I have all boys. So that was a very interesting episode (laughs) for me. Um, But, you know, as you say, drop little tidbits. I just think back to my conversation with him because my boys do not want to sit down and have a long conversation with me about anything, really. And so finding the moments that there's just a little window I mean, they listen, they hear it, they know. So I love that concept. It's the same idea, but it is being prepared for those conversations, looking for seeds and eggs, looking for, you know, seeing things in nature and life and just pointing them out, just being positive and, and, um, you know, taking a meal to a family that is having a baby. And you talk about on the way home, you know, have you ever wondered how that baby got out of there? You know, just looking for opportunities and being ready to have those conversations is what we want. We want to give parents the empowerment to have those conversations and to start to see through a lens of, oh, this is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I can just throw a little fact out there and we'll be done with it. I find that so interesting that you say you bring up, did you wonder how that baby got out of there? Because I feel like that's the question all the parents are like, what do I do when they ask, you know, and you're waiting for when they ask, but if you can just arm them, because I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you know, all of my boys know that they grew in my belly. They know that they came out of my vagina. They know that one of my sons was cut out because I had a C-section, but none of them have ever asked me, but how did we get in there? Right. And I haven't (laughs) addressed that. So What do I do? My oldest is nine. (laughs) So I think there's, you know, I think the story of birth is obviously a really great place to um, have an earlier conversation, not necessarily start, but that's a great conversation because you're introducing interesting information to your kids. You know, they're they're curious little minds typically first want to know how is that baby getting out, whether they're looking at you who's pregnant or their teacher or cousin. And we want to give them accurate information because what we ultimately want to do with a story of birth is let them see that you have a curious question, you can come to me and I will give you an honest answer. Um, And to encourage parents to answer honestly, like you did by explaining, um, you know, using words like birth canal, vagina, uterus is not a bad word, Um, a cesarean section, you know, you're using all these correct words that your kids probably haven't heard before. And they're walking away thinking, oh, my mom knows a lot about babies and where they come from. So what we're trying to do is elevate ourselves as parents to be the expert. And so that is ultimately what we're trying to do with all these conversations. Um, And sometimes kids are going to come to us with these questions. And sometimes, like you were saying with your boys, they never ask. Nobody's connected the dots or gotten to the next place of like, well, how did the baby get in there? And so there is a certain point, and this is different, like Mary Flo was saying with the ages, um, but I always encourage parents, like if you feel that urge, like, okay, we're going into fifth grade or we're going into summer camp or we're going into wherever you feel like this urge or like, I want them to know, then don't be afraid to guide those conversations and lead them. Um, and have you ever wondered how that baby got in there? It's 
It's pretty crazy. Um, and I think, again, it's not a bombshell. That's what we're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. But you start small and you say, well, you know, every baby comes from a seed and an egg. And you start there, you know, and then um, later on you can add to that. Well, you know, they, a mom and a dad fit together and the seed and the egg meet. You know, and then another conversation down the road, you can use the terms penis and vagina. Um, but what we're trying to do is become medical and matter of fact and then move on. Um, we want our kids to have the accurate information, um, but not drop a big bomb on them. Exactly. And that's why, like, you can learn about seeds and eggs when you're very little. Mm-hmm. You can learn that deep inside of every living thing, there's either a seed or an egg. And that's how new life happens. So that's already in their mind. And they know, you know, they're, they're learning the body parts. So everything's not just there in one conversation, but it's, it's been there for a while and it's been reinforced for a while and they know about birth. And so uh, basically if they know about seeds and eggs and they know about birth, there is a good chance that it, you could have that conversation, even if it's just, well, this, there's a seed in daddy called the sperm and there's an egg in mommy and they have to meet in order for the baby to get started. You leave them curious. Well, how do they meet? Okay. And they might ask that right away or they might, or they might, yeah. And they might take this like, okay, cool. Okay. What do I say when they ask right away? (laughs) I I say you dive in. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we also have to remind ourselves as parents, like somebody was just telling me like, I am so mortified. My daughter came home from school or my, my friend called me and told her, told me that my daughter told everybody on the bus that babies come out of the vagina. And I was like, well, don't they, you know, like (laughs) this part of it is on us as adults. Like this is so embarrassing for us. But like, well, it is what it is. And we're creating, you know, we're, you know, allowing this to keep going because we are so uncomfortable with it. So do, is this information we necessarily want them to go back to school and tell everybody? No. And we can have conversations about setting boundaries, but this is true information. And we would rather them have accurate information from their mom and dad, as opposed to misinformation from their peers. And so to explain that the penis goes in the vagina and that is how the seed and egg meet is maybe uncomfortable for us. And probably a lot more uncomfortable is our sweet angel baby is like right here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so not deny that that's not a comfortable conversation, but what's the alternative? Somebody else telling them, somebody else telling them, and they probably won't have their facts straight. And they probably don't know your child as much as you do and the way to deliver that information. Um, And so I think we also have to get rid of this idea that, you know, this, this is not bad information we're telling them. And I think sometimes kind of what you were talking about with that purity culture, um, if we as adults are scared, sick, talking about this, are we presenting this idea to our kids that this is a good thing? Are we giving them this idea that this is bad and icky and, oh, mom can barely spit it out and talk about it and don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that. We kind of have to step back and think, what's the overall message we're sharing with our kids? Um, and so it is scary. I don't ever want parents to be like, this is no big deal. Yeah. Just do no, it. No, no, no. no. This it is, is scary. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, there's a reason why we dread these conversations because they're just filled with anxiety. And you bring a lot of baggage to it. You bring a lot of, what, what are they hearing? What am mm-hmm. I saying? Why is my throat Watched. Yes. You know, so it's, that's, that's definitely, um, and there's just a, something about this conversation that is not comfortable and you have to accept that, but it's a little bit of pick your pain. You're either going to have the pain of these owie conversations, or you're going to have possibly massive pain for being the family that this cannot be discussed because you can't get through that, that kind of 
uh, a little bit of pain. But you just said, like, how do I say this? And I think it, once again, it can be more than one conversation. Mm -hmm. It can be, you know, a husband and a wife were made to fit together in a special way. There's a seed that's deep inside of the daddy and an egg deep inside of the mommy. And when that seed and egg meet, then that's what God uses to start the baby. Well, you've given them kind of a glossary and you've said husband and wife, which is a way to introduce the, the where you the context that you might see for this to happen. Or if that's not the context, once again, it goes back to what's your message? What is it that you and you use the vocabulary from your message so that you can share the basic biology plus your values? You put those things together and you don't get super complicated. You just try to keep it. I hate to say this, but almost mechanical because they're young. You don't need a sensual story. You don't need to go into anything, you know, sensual. You're just trying to put the facts together in a way that they can understand that's biologically true with your values. You know what's so hard? One of the hardest things about parenting is like, <laughs> I always feel like I want to come up with these plans. You know, like I, one of my favorite <laughs> episodes on this podcast is with someone about technology and, and your family's technology plan and all that. And I'm like, I want to sit down and <laughs> write up our family technology plan. And my husband's kind of like, oh, we'll figure it out as it comes. But I, like, I want him to come out with the markers and be like, it's time to yeah. sit down and come up with our plan together. But what <laughs> happens is I have these conversations and also I host a parenting podcast, you know, and I'm going to go to him and be like, what's our message for the kids? Yeah. We got to come up with this together. And then it's finding the time. When do, because once you get your kids to bed or, you know, you actually, do you really want to sit down and talk about your plan for this? You know, it's so hard. It is hard. And that's a question we get a lot is how do my husband and I get on the same page? Um, and we, you know, because our, the first step we encourage is for parents to create their message, which means the parents need to be having these conversations. Because if you're uncomfortable talking to your spouse about sex, then you're going to be very uncomfortable talking to your children about this. And so ultimately, we're trying to help parents as well find their voice and navigate this taboo topic um, on their own first before they dive in with the kids. So shameless plug, I do think watching our course together is a really great way to digest this information as one. Um, I don't know about you, but as a mom, I feel like I get lots of parenting information. Um, mm -hmm. And then I come home and I just like word vomit to my husband. Yes. I'm like, okay, this is what this girl was saying today. And then, okay, this, I heard this guy at this PTA meeting and he was saying, and my husband's like, oh my goodness, I can't take it anymore. Or like, <laughs> True story. I came home from Mary Flo's program when our baby was like six months old this is a long time ago and I came home and I was just like like you are not going to believe this is amazing I have all these notes and and like we have to start using the word vagina and blah, blah, blah. and he looked at me like you have lost your mind our baby is six months old like you want me to start saying what and it just gets really lost in translation yeah. and so I think with any parenting topic but especially this one if you could sit together and have a third party you know explain it to you then you're like oh okay that makes a lot of sense and you're digesting it together um and obviously sharing a book and that stuff is helpful but part, so, something we do love about the course is that you sit down it's interactive and you watch it together and you can both think okay you see the whole picture i know what you're talking about now um because i'm with you sometimes you get so fired up about a parenting idea that you're just like okay let's do it let's do it and your spouse is trying to catch up like what are you talking about exactly and and we found it's also really good if you have a, just a tiny bit of peer pressure like invite two couple friends over and say okay we're in this together 
I know you're new to Raleigh, but still, yeah. just fine. <laughs> come on over. Yeah, yeah. Come on over. We're going to watch this. Make but, some offer wine. So maybe, yes, exactly. But just, just a li- obviously, I think it's great just for a husband and wife to watch it together. But sometimes I think... Um, it's also a good idea to do this with uh, some close couple friends. I mean, I think that's a good idea too because one of the talking points I actually have is, you know how we said, if we don't teach our kids about sex, like they're going to hear about it somewhere else. And the statistics of when kids see porn for the first time and things like that are just crazy how young they are. And specifically, like if they're going to someone's house that has an older sibling, what's on their iPad? And they're just like walking by behind the couch and then they stop and, you know... Um, so the idea of the families that you're in closest community with, even if your values aren't exactly lined up, like some people might be really hung up on the marriage thing. Some people might not be things like that. Um, I think for the most part, the basics of those first conversations, if you're hanging out with these people all the time, they're probably line up a little bit. Right. And we always joke, like do this as a community. Um, you know, okay, if you guys start saying penis, we'll start saying penis. And then we won't get kicked out of the playgroup yeah. um, for using bad words. <laughs> because ultimately what we want to do is just kind of help take away the shame and taboo, um, taboo-ness. Is and, that a word? And silliness, And too. silliness. You know, you know, just, like, and, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. And just say, okay, we, this is, I think what we really want is just to empower parents to kind of take control of this topic. I think just the way things are right now, parents are very afraid of this conversation and very nervous and uncomfortable. And so that's almost put us into like this quiet, silent corner. And then you have the culture who is not afraid and they are sharing disturbing things, images, confusing. Um, like you said, the, the, the average age of first pornographic viewing is some studies say eight, some say 11. So, I mean, it's, if the world is like flashing like this and then we as their loving parents are just silent, we're just doing such a disservice to our kids. And so our hope is that we through, you know, our birds and bees can really encourage and equip parents to say, okay, you know what? I have the words to say and now I have the confidence to say them because our kids deserve a parent who is going to be um, educating them. Because like you said, like they're going to learn it somewhere. And we think it's a privilege to talk to your kids about sex. I know that's kind of a, a twist of way to say things. You're like, what? No, I'd rather die. But the reality is it, it, it might be uncomfortable. We might be sweating. We might want to, you know, have to recover afterwards or whatever. Yes. But it's a privilege to talk to our kids about this. And moving forward, the conversations are only going to get more difficult. But we want to be there as a safe place for them. If something happens, if they're in this relationship, if they see something, we want to be the ones that they go to. And that doesn't happen overnight. So we want to really encourage parents to start these conversations when they're young, like we were saying with body parts. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great place to start. And that starts really young. And also, it's one of those things, too, where you can get all keyed up because you think, I'm just not going to do it very well. You can have a standard in your mind. If I could just know that I'm going to do it exactly right. And you're not. Nobody does it exactly right. So we really try to reinforce, don't try to do this perfectly. And we, if you, if you have a conversation, you go back to your room, you tuck them into bed, you go, oh my goodness, that didn't go well at all. (laughs) They're going to wake up in your house. You can go back. And so you just circle back. You know what? I feel like the lasting impression of our conversation last night was this, but that is not at all what I wanted your lasting impression to be. So can I try this again? (laughs) And they will let you do that. 
And so just know that you don't, it's with the talk, that's it. You got your chance. And if it didn't go well, it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. But this method is much more, let's go over this again. Cause, or tell me what you think you heard, because this is how it sounded to me when I thought about it later. You know, it's a really good tool just for, we can do hard things Mm -hmm. as a family. We can talk about challenging things and you're going to feel so much better once you start to get into this process. Yeah. I mean, I think that we should approach everything we do in parenting that way, right? Like you're not going to do anything perfectly. I'm not going to do anything perfectly. So you just get started. Yes, you're exactly right. Okay. One of the questions I have, which is something I feel like I'm anticipating is when my son does come home and he has seen something and I always tell him, you know, especially we just moved to this new neighborhood and there's a couple houses. We've met the parents and they play with these kids. And I'm always like, you know, if, if they're ever looking at something or anything feels uncomfortable or just like you feel like you shouldn't be watching it, just come home and, and it's no no big deal, but just come home and talk to me about it. And he's just kind of like, okay. You know, he doesn't really think much of it. But I'm curious your advice if he does come home and actually tells me what, like say it was, I don't know, Maybe it's an image. Maybe it's right. actual video. But what? How? How would you suggest I respond? I think the initial response should be, "I am so glad you told me." Um, I think our initial response to this topic at large, from sex or slang terms to pornography, anything like that, our gut instinct is when our sweet, innocent child says, "Mom, I just saw this picture of." whatever, or what does such and such mean? Our, our initial reaction is like, what? Where'd you hear that? Or you are never going to their house again or whatever our like instinct can be. Um, I, as a mom, completely understand that instinct, but that reaction just shuts it down. And so I would say if your child, God forbid, sees something and has the courage to come to you and say, hey, mom, you know, I, I was at so-and-so's house today and like, I saw something on their, you know, iPad I probably shouldn't have seen. Like, I am so sorry that happened to you. And I am so proud of you for telling me. So I think that's like the first reaction. Um, bite your tongue. <laughs> Take your breath. And don't scare them, even though you're scared inside. But just to really help foster that um, relationship of you are not in trouble for telling me. I am so glad you told me. Um, so to really help um, encourage that and then try to figure out the best you can what they saw how they're feeling um you know depending on what it was then maybe follow up with the other family and let them know hey just want to let you know this happened i if it was at my house i would want to know too so but ultimately your main concern is your child um and to help encourage him or her that they did the right thing by coming to tell you i love that response i am so on board with always saying like, thank you for telling me. I'm so glad you came to me. Um, and I always, you know, tell my kids, whatever you tell me, like the truth is always going to be better than hiding it or anything like that. And I'm not going to shame you for, for anything. I just want to know the truth so I can keep you safe. It's been my go-to is like, my job is to keep you safe. Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. I don't know about you, but when I became a parent, sleep became 
a lot more difficult. And even though my kids are a little bit bigger now, it is still challenging to get a full night's sleep. Beam has a nightly drink for better sleep. It is a delicious blend of sleep-enhancing vitamins, minerals, nano hemp, and more. It is called the Dream Nighttime Powder, and it is like a healthy take on hot chocolate. I warm up my water on my tea kettle every night and mix it up with some of the Dream Blend, and it is just a great nightly routine. I actually have been putting a touch of milk in it as well, mostly water and a little bit of milk. It makes for a guilt-free, sleep-inducing, delicious cup of cocoa flavor. And with the Dream Powder, you're getting more than just quality shut-eye. You're also providing your body with sleep-enhancing vitamins and minerals such as magnesium, reishi, L-theanine, I probably said that wrong, and nano-hemp. And also, if you are someone who works out or runs and needs to replenish your electrolytes, make sure you check out their hydration line. The Recovery Blend is my favorite. It is delicious, has a fresh lemon taste, and anytime I'm out for a run and I come back and I'm super sweaty, I make sure to take the Hydration Blend because it just replenishes and hydrates my body. You all can check out Beam when you go to beamtlc.com. Use the code Lindsay15, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5, and you'll get 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Okay, I want to move to another topic quickly here, and that is the bathing question. Um, I know a lot of people have questions like, when should I stop taking a shower with my kids? When should my kids stop taking baths together? I have all boys, so that... That's kind of easy for me because, you know, they're going to be in the locker room together one day, too, with a bunch of their friends. Um, and I will just say, I'll just throw it out there. I, I've always showered with my kids. Once they hit kindergarten is really when I've noticed it's just time. And that's just for my family. Like, I could just tell it was time. Um, so I still let my younger two get in the shower with me and nobody thinks anything of it. They don't ask questions. They're just taking a shower. Um but tell me your thoughts on the topic. Well, I would say you're our model citizen for that. Like <laughs> you have you have um, a really comfortable attitude. You're passing along a comfortable attitude, but a respectful attitude. You had your radar up. And typically it is once they go off to school and they, they, they want a little more privacy and they're aware that for whatever reason, this, this just doesn't seem appropriate anymore. Not bad, just not appropriate anymore. So I think that's a great trajectory, you know, just that comfort level. Uh, once again, we don't really put an age, but just have your radar up. And if you feel like they're uncomfortable or you're uncomfortable, then you make adjustments there. But I don't think what you, what you just don't want it to be an uncomfortable situation that you're inviting them into and they're not comfortable or one where they're in the bath with you or in the shower with you and you're uncomfortable. That's, that's not fun for anybody. So I would just do what you just exactly did. Just enjoy those sweet times with their with your little boys, and then let them go. <laughs> and that's the that's the same advice for baths as it is for changing in front of our kids. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times these questions go hand in hand, um, and we always say just to respect the most modest person. Mm, um, I love that. And so sometimes that might be your husband, and he's like, "I am not changing in front of these kids anymore. They yeah. are I level with parts, and I'm not doing this." then that's fine. Let's be respectful. Dad can have a robe for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or 
if mom and dad are very comfortable, you know, some families are very comfortable running around naked and that's like not a problem with them. But then maybe their seven-year-old all of a sudden is changing in their room with the door closed, or you can just, just be aware, you know, you're going to see signs of discomfort from the kids or from the adults. And so just respect the most modest person in the home um, when it comes to bathing or changing. I, I love that idea. And, you know, I, it, it all, I don't know if people listening have younger kids, it all just kind of, for us at least was pretty natural with my oldest. It was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to start changing in this room. And even now, I mean, he, he actually still will change out in front of us, our immediate family. Um, but they just start kind of, I've noticed knowing that like, I'm going to go do this in private, you know? It's like an awareness that kind of starts in elementary school. And, but, but to that being said, some people don't like my kids are eight, six and three and they most nights still all bathe together and, but nobody's, you know, addressing any sort of discomfort. Now I'm sure sooner than later, my oldest will say, okay, I, I kind of want to take my own shower or I'm ready to do my own thing. But selfishly, as long as everyone's okay with it, it's easier on me. So <laughs> I wasn't down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but there will come a time where, um, you know, one of the kids is uncomfortable and that's okay. We can respect that privacy. Yeah. And here's another one I'll bring up. Just, I'll just use my own personal experiences and everybody can learn. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting because the kids are all so different from one another, right? Some of my kids are way more interested in their private parts than others. Uh And I'm curious, you know, and I have all boys again, and I'm sure girls do this too, but some of my kids hands on the penis all the time, sitting there watching TV, hands in the pants. And so I actually just walked away from this situation and he was in the room by himself. So I just let him, you know, so (laughs) what is the conversation to be had though? You know, when they say, oh, it tickles or whatever, like, how do you respond to that? Well, uh, hands in the pants is is definitely our number one question. Yeah, the like, most the <laughs> best question that we get. So just know you you have a lot of company out there, and you, you were right to say even though you have all boys, we get just as many questions from um, parents of girls as okay. we do from boys, uh, but they come a little bit more surprised and ashamed for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like, we will have a raised hand from a boy mom who asks about it, but then the the girl mom will come find us afterwards and say, I don't know how to ask you this, but my daughter touches herself. You know, yeah. so or like a very apologetic yes, email. Yes. I can't I, believe I'm writing you this. Yeah. And so it's a, it's funny how through the years that's been true. Wow. True. So first of all, it's uh, we have actually thought about this a lot and talk about it a lot. But if we can see it as in a prepubescent child as body exploration and yes, it, it, and, and try to be matter of fact about it. We are looking at that experience as a, a, a sexual experience, but there it, for them, it's a little bit more curiosity and body exploration. And if we can be non-emotional about it and kind of, kind of put your, um, your words in the realm of, manners, what's polite, and also hygiene. If you can stay away from this in your mind being a sexual thing and more of a, you know what, that's where, you know, after you, after you poop, your underwear is not very clean. So to have your hands in your underwear is not the cleanest place for you to be. Not that it's bad. It's just 
the hygiene of that. Uh, or it's, it's, you know, wherever your hands are, that's where people are looking. So if you have your hands in your nose or uh, down your throat or you're pulling something out of your ear, people, it makes people uncomfortable when you have your hands in your pants. And so if you go into a large auditorium full of people, all these men, nobody has their hands in their pants. Some, <laughs> at some point, they learned to take them out of their pants. So uh, this may not be the day, but soon you're going to learn that too. So just be aware it makes other people uncomfortable. So in, with good manners in mind, let's, you know, maybe don't do that as often as you might. And then you, you just, but you don't, once again, like I'm making that sound like you would say all of that in one sitting. No, it would be just like you were telling your child, put your helmet on. Get your hands out of your pants. You know, we, we just want to encourage parents to use the same tone of voice as you would if they had their finger in their nose. Um, and it's time to focus on habits and hygiene. Oh, mm-hmm. sweetheart, get your hands out of your pants. That's where we go potty. Okay, come with me. Let's go wash our hands now. Um, and then just keep it um, matter of fact, medical, and then move on. Um, because I think as parents, sometimes we see that and think, well, I don't want them to be ashamed. So I don't want to say anything. Um, but I think you can speak into it and that's where we just want to focus on habits and hygiene and, um, just kind of redirect. We have a podcast episode that, um, you can find if you look up for our podcast with a pediatrician and we talk for 45 minutes all about body exploration and your hands (laughs) in your pants. Um, or my daughter falls asleep rubbing her stuffed animal or my son has his hands in the pants every time he watches TV. And so we talk all about that. And ultimately parents come to us wanting to know, like, is this normal? Does this mean What's the correlation between this and masturbation in the teenage years? And the reality is there's not a correlation. These are very different things. So I think parents get hung up on it because they think, okay, whatever I tell my child at four needs to be consistent with where I stand at 15 or 16. Um, And these are two separate conversations, two separate acts. And so as parents of young kids, we can help them create healthy habits with hygiene and say, oh, sweetheart, let's get our hands out of our pants. That's where we go potty. Let's go wash our hands and move on. Yeah, I think because there's a fear in whatever you say now is going to affect, like I said, like when you grow up in purity culture or whatever, like it's going to affect how they view that for the rest of their life. Right. So that's why we want to also, I mean, you can speak into it, but just be calm. You know, stop Mm -hmm. that. Get your hands out of your pants. Oh, gross. Stop. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, But you can speak into it and say, sweetheart, get your hands out of your pants. It's not good manners. Um, So again, you can speak into it without creating shame. What if they're alone, though? Like, what if nobody's around and you're like, well, maybe I should just, I mean, is that okay to just let them if they're in the bathtub by themselves or something? If you're not present, then you can't speak into it. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, I I think, you know, your body was made to feel good. If they say, oh, that tickles. Well, your body was made to feel that way. Okay. You know, just, and I would never put a tone of you are doing something really wrong. So mm-hmm. if they don't feel like they're doing something really wrong, you're just giving them some parameters for where it's appropriate. And if you, you know, however it feels comfortable for your family and what you think is appropriate. But what we just, we want parents to just know this is a very common occurrence in childhood. Don't get all hung up about it and speak into it, but then move on. And to that point, if, if there's situations like that and you don't want to speak into it, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. You mean just don't say anything? Yeah. Like you were saying, if your son's, you know, like we, we've had several conversations with parents and like my, my daughter or my son falls asleep like that every night, like gets into like a little rub <laughs> position. Yeah. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, 
And so the parents were so stressed out about it and like would take turns going in there and, okay, honey, it's time to go to bed. Stop. It's time for bed. When ultimately the best situation, I believe probably would have been like to say good night, honey, and close the door. Yeah. Um, in, in that situation, you know, because they almost made it a much bigger deal than it really needed to be. And this type of body exploration is a developmental stage. It does not last forever. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think in some situations, yeah, I think not addressing it is fine. I mean, it sounds like to me in that situation, that child was like comforting themselves and into sleep. Yeah, for sure. And that's where I think with all of these conversations, with all these topics, we have to always remind ourselves, okay, we are adults. We are post pubescent hormonally charged beings. So we are seeing everything through a sexually charged lens. The children are not, you know, and so what they're doing and even how they're digesting information we give them is kind of matter of fact. Like I do this cause this feels good. Or if we explain what mm. sex is, they take it as, well, that's weird. You know, they don't take it as like a sensual sexual thing. Cause they're not wired that way yet. And so I think especially when you're talking about um, touch, we have to remind ourselves as parents that they are prepubescent. They are not sexual beings yet or sensual beings. Um, and so we can take a step back, mm -hmm. I think, with our reactions. Mm -hmm. And that's actually why talking to your kids before the hormones kick in is so much easier. Uh -huh. Like if you wait till, till they're older, they, it will be even more uncomfortable because right now you're just setting out the facts. And that they're just accepting those facts. Mm -hmm. And plus, they really think you know everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Teenagers, not so much. Right. <laughs> we'll have to do a whole nother talk on that specifically. Megan and I, with you. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back. Give us like three years, four, five years. It's one of those things where like, even when you're an, an expert on something, until you've like walked through that phase of parenting yourself, you're like, oh, we're doing this now, aren't we? <laughs> this this okay, is happening. It's all changed. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. When I, my daughter was asking me all the questions and I did the whole explain it all conversation, you know, I was like, I was just panicking in my head. Like, I do this all day long. I talk to parents <laughs> this all the time. And then with my own, you know, I had my own little mental freak out, but the same thing happened. Like I did it. I was so like, <gasps> I can't believe this is such a big moment. And she was kind of like, okay, hey, are they going to have party favors at this birthday party? <laughs> Okay. Is she your oldest? Alive? She's my oldest, yeah. Um, and so she survived, and I survived, you know. And yes. like, but even to your point of like, I tell, I want parents to do this all the time. This is what we do. We encourage these parents. We tell them what to say. And like, when it comes to your own, you're still like, are you sure? Am I emotionally involved? Am I yes. sure this is the right thing to do? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we purposeful over perfect. That's what we want: is purposeful mm -hmm. parents, not perfect parents. Oh, that's such a good. Do you guys have that like on your website somewhere? That's such yeah. a good phrase. That's a, it's something we say. It's yes. purposeful, not perfect. So mm -hmm. good. I know I a couple of reviews on this podcast were like, I was nervous to listen to this podcast because I was afraid like it would just make me feel like I wasn't doing enough or I wasn't doing it right. And it was like, it, it's not like that at all, yeah. though, you know? <laughs> well, I, hopefully this will be another episode like that. Yeah. I mean, I was just actually saying, I just did an Instagram story before I got on this call and I was like, I'm feeling kind of guilty because I'm doing all this work interviewing par um, for the parenting podcast, yet my two youngest, well, one that was just in the street, <laughs> which actually I don't feel guilty about that. I'm like, oh, I'm glad he decided to go outside by himself, you know, like on his own. Um, they've been watching a lot of TV because we've been in this like um, 
phase for the past. Well, we've been in this t- uh, period where we don't have childcare since we moved, you know? Yeah. Moved from Indiana, didn't have childcare a few weeks before that. Then we just figured we don't know anybody here. We'll just wait till preschool starts, which it's amazing that my husband works from home too, so we can tag team on them. Um, but my big boys went back to school last week, and now my little boys will go next week. And I'm just like, I'm struggling with the guilt of like, they're watching a lot of TV while I'm keeping my work going, you Mm know? Right. All that to say, I don't know. I don't know what the point is. The point is that nobody's doing it perfectly. My kids have been watching three hours of TV this morning and it's only two o'clock, you know? (laughs) Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. That's, that's the whole wide world right now. Like kids are in front of screens constantly and um, much more than we've, thought that they would be and that's just that's don't don't carry that guilt no you know and I personally like the guilt of the tv is way less than the ipad or like another screen for some reason because I'm like well Daniel Tiger he teaches really good lessons exactly (laughs) like pretty much preschool right there yes right I'm a real fan oh yeah Bluey's fun oh I don't think my boys watch Bluey it's gonna blow your mind okay and it, it it's wonderful. I could watch episode after episode. It's great. Actually. It's really good. And let me just say one more thing on that note. This morning, my one that's potty training just started having a total meltdown, begging to watch Blippy. And for a second there, I went to the place where I was like, look what you've done. Mm-hmm. You have a three-year-old that's addicted to TV. Look what you've yeah. done. And then <laughs> I like talked myself back out of it. I read him a book. And I just laid with him for like 15 minutes. And now he is watching TV again. But I reminded myself, no, I did not. He is not addicted to TV. I am allowing him to watch a lot of TV right now. And that doesn't mean things won't change. No. And it's good TV. Yeah. There we go. But we watch a lot of Blippi at our house, too. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's good TV, no. <laughs> but it's, it's not, not bad. It's, it's not weird, bad. but... It's weird, but not bad. The one, so the say- thing I really don't like is when my big kids want to watch other people playing video games on YouTube. I'm like, why do you want to watch that? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm like, oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. The scary thing is, is if that, if something else pops up on YouTube, yeah. you know. Anyway, um, all that to say, nope, nobody's perfect. We're not doing it perfect. No, no. Keep on keeping on. You're doing a great job. Okay, so my takeaways um, are there's no right age because different kids have different age siblings. But sooner than you think. Sooner than you think. Um, follow the person in your family that has, like, the most modest person in your family. Respect how they feel. Mm-hmm. And then... What's another takeaway? I think an, another important takeaway is that these are lots of small conversations. You know, that um, you want to start young so that you can you can take advantage of this their youthful curiosity. So you just want to be prepared for a lot of small conversations and to be looking for opportunities for that, that you can initiate a conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for them to ask. I think that was definitely the philosophy for many years. Wait till they ask and only mm-hmm. answer. And that's... That's not going to cut it anymore. That's putting them totally in charge of the topic. So as parents, we're not going to do it perfectly, but we need to be the adults in the room and, and, and move you know, towards them. Yes. And we can move towards them with the information we want them to have. Okay. Can we speed through into podcast questions? Are you okay on time? Yes. My, my son's in the front yard, but. Your son's can, in the I, front yard too? Yes. <laughs> okay. One thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet. I guess be on the Today Show. 
that? The one? <laughs> I think I think that would be a lot of fun. I love that. Who do you want your interviewer to be? Jenna. Jenna. Oh, I love Jenna. That yeah, that'd be fun. And throw Hoda in there too. Yeah, and yes. uh, we'll take but, both. But they're young mom, you know, they yeah. have young children. So I think they'd have great questions. Okay, I'll say ditto. You okay. should pitch that. Fill out a, have you filled out the form? No. Do it. Just get online and pitch yourself. Perfect. Okay. Ditto. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, best, most recent book you've read? Well, let's see. I would say um, my reading this summer was actually um, what God has to say about bodies was really interesting. Do you have one, Megan? This is my favorite, but my last book I read was a beach read by Aaron Hildebrand mm. that I read on our beach trip. Our beach summer. trip? Yes. Well, that's not what it's called. I just went on our trip. I read, I can't remember what it's called. Okay. Erin Hill is, she writes a billion beach reads that always take place in Nantucket and I like to read them (laughs) and not think through things. I have a stack of like important books that I'm kind of reading here and there, but the beach reads are the ones I can like get through real fast and not think. (laughs) I know. I wish I want to make more time for the beach reads because those are the fun ones. Those are the fun ones. Um, all right. And do you have a kid's book to recommend on this topic? One book we really recommend for parents to read is, um, good pictures, bad pictures, junior. That's a great book for parents of young kids. It's just talking about ways to have conversations to protect your kids from uh, technology and pornography. Okay. Perfect. Are you all going to write, are y'all going to write a book? Look at you. (laughs) You're doing it. You are doing it. Way to go. Well, right now there are some old books that I wrote that are uh, that oh. are out there, but they they've been out of print for a while because everything is contained in our online course and in the the workbook that we have online. So the the course comes with a a digital workbook. Okay. Right now um, we don't have anything in the works, but never never, never. Yeah. get the book You're written. Part of the children's book, so maybe we'll do a children's. I book. would like to do a children's book and but. send a copy to Hoda and Jenna. Yeah, send exactly. a copy. There you go. Um, all right. What's the last message you want to leave with the audience? You can do it. I was just about to say the same thing. You can do this. You can do this. I think this is very doable. It's scary, but you can do this and it beats the alternative. So do it. Yes. Start talking to your kids. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today. I hope you took something from this episode. Thank you, Megan and Mary Flo. If you are interested in their course, make sure you check out birds-bees.com and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-2-0 for 20% off their course. I want to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you are looking for a sleep supplement, something to help you get a good night's sleep at night and a fun delicious nightly routine check out their dream blend and also check out their hydration line beamtlc.com use the code lindsay15 for 15 percent off your order all right friends thanks for being here have a great rest of your week and we will see you next week on why is everyone yelling <laughs>